two months on, how does one reflect upon becoming one of the biggest and most beloved figures in Australian sport almost overnight? What sort of support network and grounding is needed to reach this point? And on the track itself, what's the thinking process and tactics behind running the 800 metres? And despite all his Olympic success as of late, did he perhaps miss his true sporting calling? I'm your host Joey Lynch and this is Beyond the Lead with Peter Boll. Running in his second Olympics, Peter Boll made history in Tokyo 2020, becoming the first Australian man in 53 years to qualify for an 800 metre final. Showing no fear, he led for much of that final before he eventually crossed the line in fourth position, just unable to find that extra gear to hold off the fast finishing medalists. In some ways, it was a disappointment for Bolt. Like every athlete that headed to Tokyo, he'd arrived in Japan wanting a medal. But despite just missing out on this, he nonetheless had embedded himself in the hearts of what was a largely lockdown nation watching on back home. In fact, he declared that he knew the whole of Australia was watching, and that carried me on. And as more and more Australians learned of his story, how he arrived as a child on a humanitarian visa after fleeing what is now South Sudan, how he went to school on a basketball scholarship before being discovered as a champion runner almost by accident, and his deeply thoughtful approach to how running helped him discover both himself, his community and the world around him, this affection only deepened. Seeing you run out in the green and gold gives us great hope for the Australia we know we can be, tweeted Craig Foster an asylum seeker advocate and former Australian footballer. 27-year-old Bowl had very little chance to sit back and ponder his accomplishments in Tokyo, jetting out almost immediately for yet more athletic competition in Europe. But now, months on from the Games, he's finally had a bit more of a chance to reflect. He sat down with ESPN Stephanie Brands to discuss his past few months, how his story has been told compared to his own recollections, pastimes outside of running, the support structures he had that had delivered him to where he is today, and much, much more. But first, Stephanie just asked him why he was in such a good mood as he sat down for their chat. I'm smiling quite a bit because I'm in quarantine. It's my final day and I get out tomorrow. So I'm in Brisbane at the Stanford Plaza and yeah, can't wait to get out, but I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, without wanting to give out uh, too much commercial uh, sort of enterprise <laughs> statements, uh, Sony PlayStation's made your stay a bit easier, haven't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, they hooked me up with, with the console, so shout out to them, PlayStation 5. And it's been keeping me busy. I think I'm an expert. <laughs> uh, Favourite games? Uh, FIFA at the moment and Ratchet and Clank. I can't believe it's taken you this long to get back home because this is your first trip to Australia since Tokyo, isn't it, Peter? Yeah, so it's kind of strange. I haven't really seen many people and look forward to really seeing family tomorrow night. Uh, So I'll fly straight to Perth from here. 
Wow, that's fantastic. Can you believe that it's already two months since you were all across the front pages here in Australia, uh, all over digital media and inspiring the nation with your performance at the Olympics and uh, a belated congratulations, of course, on everything you achieved over there. But you have you had a chance to, to reflect on all of it? I guess quarantine gives you a bit of time to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was just about to say that. Uh, really, I went straight into Europe and I was competing, so I didn't really have a chance to reflect and speak to my coach much and then coming to quarantine is like all you have here is time so there's a lot of reflection and getting to watch the race and and also most importantly just set goals for the next season and just trying to stay busy because it's kind of tough out here so you gotta, gotta kind of keep moving so I got myself a bike in here and yes two months is quite a long time ago yeah, it is. It, in some ways, it feels like yesterday, but it, it is uh, quite a few weeks. And I just remember the thing that sticks in my mind is, is what you said, trackside. And you said to everyone in Australia, we're just human. At the end of the day, we inspired the whole nation. And that's the goal. Was that something that just came to you in the moment? <laughs> yeah, as I said, um, it's really hard to speak post, post-race interviews anyways. Um, <laughs> and- and yeah, that's just just the way I felt. Came straight from the heart, and and it's what I'm about, you know, on and off track. So it was the Olympics was a good way to showcase who I am as a person, rather than everyone just sees as an athlete. And it was just a great way. It was a great moment, and timing was perfect, and had a lot to do with that. Well, like it or not, you became an instant role model. Uh, is that something that sits well with you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm up for any challenge. Um, I mean, as I said, on and off track. So the off track things, definitely. And if inspires people to whatever they want to do, like whether it's sports or off track stuff, you know, arts and crafts or business, whatever it is that you want to do, if it inspires you to be your best and keep hitting those PBs, uh, then yeah, I'm all up for that. Your story was uh, related in in various uh, different ways, I guess, in the media after you sort of shot to to instant fame and I'm not by any means saying that you're you're an overnight success because we know how hard you've worked for for what you've done and we've seen you at the Olympics in Rio of course before but the differing stories that that came out what's your recollection and your narrative of what you went through as a kid and how your family moved around yeah I think it's it's so powerful stories are so powerful and they come in so many different forms but I guess the greatest, the greatest form is coming straight from you. You know, you tell your story in your own way. And, and that story is, yeah, I did, I did grow up in Sudan and uh, I left when I was six years old. Uh, I was in Egypt, so there was a little bit of misunderstanding there at a refugee camp. But I mean, that was never true. I was never at a refugee camp. And from Egypt to Toowoomba, from Toowoomba, it's like plane to plane, you know, home to home, hotel to hotel. So it's like you can say I've been kind of used to this lifestyle for quite some time now and yeah it's just it's just I think it's a powerful story because there's that connection between my heritage what I stand for what what I love and then this adaptation to Australian culture at the same time is what I love too and and I'm able to kind of connect them both together and I think that's really unique and and I'm able to share that to the country it's it's awesome because like it's like a message that you can you can still be yourself um like because Sudanese is who I am it's part of me like I can still be that and I can still adapt to the environment around me and and that kind of makes you unique and and just being yourself so it's cool 
Well, it's, it's certainly extremely cool for, for kids who may have experienced some of what you did to look at you and think, wow, that's that's what I want to be. Did you experience uh, any settling in issues? Did you experience racism in Australia? Um, absolutely. I think you experienced that, you know, all over the world and, you know, experienced it in Egypt, experienced it in all different forms. And even in Sudan, you know, you experienced it there with my family and stuff. And yeah, so it's all these issues. And, and I think the goal is to build um, kids and people to be resilient enough to be able to stand up for these kind of things and, and stuff like that. So, and that comes with a lot of confidence. So sport did give me a lot of confidence to kind of stand up for that stuff. And, and again, as I say, you know, just who I am. So like, I'm not going to try not to be Sudanese anymore because there's like people racist against, against those groups of people and the minorities. So it's like, I'm confident in who I am and I'm going to show you like, we're just, we're just people. So why did your parents choose Australia? Um, to be honest, I was like 10, man. I didn't even know the difference. I didn't, I didn't even know where Australia was on the map. Um, and I think that's a question. We did have family in Toowoomba. So, so, which is, I think it's like two hours from here or something like that. So it's kind of funny, like what, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, I was at the airport in Brisbane, which I'll be there tomorrow. And like looking back 18 years from now, it's like, wow. Like I've been all over the world and like different experiences and like in 18 years, so much has happened. Yeah, that's an understatement of the year, Peter. Um, <laughs> I can't, can't believe you're jumping out of hotel quarantine and not taking a quick side trip to Toowoomba, but uh, definitely keen to no, get home. I have 12 hours to get to Perth. So uh, <laughs> the, flight, and the, flight is, the flight is already five and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay fair enough we'll, we'll let you off the hook but when you say you know you're going to Perth I'm, I'm guessing that's what is home now for you you had an extraordinary amount of family gathered to watch you race uh, in Perth when you're in Tokyo how aware of you were the were you of the interest back in Australia and, and everyone gathered around the tv and television cameras watching your family watching you oh <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, at, at this stage, I think I'm just a global citizen just because how much I move around. It's like, well, I live in Melbourne and I'm there five, five months of the year and then I'm Perth two months of the year and I'm in Europe like four. So like, I'm just, I'm just a global citizen. I even feel home in Brisbane right now. And um, it was so powerful. Like the idea of literally the race that lasted, I think the first two races breaking the Australian record, that lasted for a minute and 44 seconds. And, and to capture that many people's attention, like sport, generally goes for so much longer and to be able to just capture so much attention and you know it's great for the athletics it's great for the sport as well and and I think part of that is you know part of the story I think what everyone loved is who my family is you know that that made a big part of it it's like it's like everyone's like man what does it feel to have all these families um watching you supporting you like that is so powerful I'm like man I don't know any different like that's what I grew up with like um that's just a normal <laughs> That's just normal. Australia was like, it was like awesome to see that. And I'm like, that, that happened four years ago. I just wasn't as big and I didn't have much success. So the media wasn't around that, but that, that was happening like in Rio five years ago. So um, that's again, why it's so powerful to, to keep that part of your heritage and your culture. And, and that's what I admire. And just for the rest of Australia, it was, it was so cool to have um, people like everywhere just support and the messages that I got, I'm still, going through some right now just trying to reply to some um, from every different platform it's just you know thank you a bunch of mentions and it's like 
man, like this journey, I really thought, I really thought athletics was an individual sport, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had a whole country running every step of that race with you. And what a race it was, leading the pack, uh, setting the pace, finishing an amazing fourth. Have you watched it back? Yeah, I did. I did get a chance to watch it back a few times. I, initially, I didn't want to watch it back because it's like the goal was to win. And, and yes, the biggest win, I think, was off track in how much impact we had. But still, you got you to gotta get back to reality and be like, well, we didn't really achieve our goal of, of, winning, of winning gold and, and meddling. So because that was the goal. And as an athlete, like that's I'm all about high performance and about achieving those goals. So for me, like, OK, there's some amazing celebrations and everyone's so happy and how you conducted yourself. And, you know, you take that and, and you thank and you're grateful for that. But then you come back and you go to sleep and you're like, man, I finished fourth. Like, imagine, like, I want, I wanted to win. So, so, and then, and then you just start using what's off track, like all this powerful motivation. That's like, oh, well, all right, we got, we got three years now for Paris. Let's, let's get more people on the journey and let's, and let's try to see if we can do this thing. Um, and before that, let's, let's tick off a few boxes. We got Commonwealth Games next year. We got World Championships Games next year. So, um, there's just such a powerful fuel at the moment for the next games. 800 metres is a crazy event. I mean, for normal people, it's a, a decent jog twice around a track. Uh, for you guys, it's a flat sprint. <laughs> how, how do you approach it? Like, tactically, it must be crazy, right? Yeah. So I think the toughest thing about day 100 is it's probably the first 200 because you got to cut in and, and the tactics. And another tough thing to do is I always say I perform at my best when I didn't have to think at all. So if you if you think someone's already kind of made the move, so you're not thinking, you gotta almost be automatic. So that self belief has got to be so high. It's like you just go in there and you make moves automatic. You can have a race plan, but after that first 200, your race plan could be like completely gone. Because if you want it to be on the front and you end up being at the back, you gotta kind of stay calm and you gotta stay relaxed. So it's a whole mind and body, and it's just all of it coming together. So that's what makes it so hard. And on top of that, you gotta run two laps, um, like at 70% of your pace and with lactic from the last 200 meters. So you got to combine all that together, which takes years to kind of develop and a lot of experience and all that. Yeah, I'm tired just thinking about it, Peter. Um, <laughs> for, for those of us who will never be talented enough to make an Olympic team, how hard is it in your head? How hard is it to get to the stage where you can call yourself an Olympian? <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's great to set goals and be Olympian, but the reality is it's really hard. Like it's, it's three people per country that can represent Australian day, hundred meters. And on top of that, it's only 48 people that can line up. And on top of that, it's only eight people in the final. So like, you're going to be top eight in the whole world just to make it to a final. So that is hard. So I think it's, it's a lot more focusing on, on like outside of things. So when you are in that type of journeys, you know, not to take anything kind of for granted, you know, we travel the world. So one of those things you get out and meet the people and explore the culture. So you're not just out there really running like two minutes and then going back home. Um, but yeah, I think for the rest of the world, um, just find something that you love doing. And if it's not the Olympics, then get behind it. Um, and if it's something else, then find a way to kind of be in that top eight. I don't know what that is in different um, avenues. So you said that you your goal was to finish 
first and and to win a gold medal and I understand that from a, an elite athlete and a high performance perspective but then when you've just outlined what it takes to make a team how <laughs> few people can be in that final first person in more than 50 years to do it from Australia and do you get an immense sense of satisfaction or does the athlete in you keep driving you to think I haven't done it yet no it's just drive 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 and it's it's, it's why I stay so calm and it's not like um everyone's like how are you so calm I was like I haven't really done what I wanted to do and like the job is not really done yet uh that's why I'm so calm because there's still goals to come to be achieved and I mean like I'm thankful for everything that comes with it and I appreciate how hard it is and you can't take away from the winners either it's like would you have done anything differently it's like no those guys are they're better on the day they're better on the day and that's what day 100 is about um whoever's better on the day and and there was three people faster than me on that day in the world and and I guess it's not about what you deserve it's what you what you can go out and get because you know no one's going to hand you a gold medal do you feel like your life has changed since that race Uh, yeah definitely but I haven't been out in the Australian public yet so I guess but in a good way too I think in in a good way and like in a way that kind of motivates you for Okay, let's cut to the chase. We know you're a kick-ass runner, but were you meant to be a basketballer? <laughs> um, uh, if I was to be honest, I'd say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love basketball. It's it's probably still my favorite sport, to be honest. And I mean, if you ask me if I still play, it depends who's watching. If my coach is watching this interview, I'd say I haven't touched a ball in like a year or two. But but really, like I still love shooting around and it's, it's just fun it's a good sport and like I got I got behind the boomers and yeah uh, the Olympics it's it's just cool you know that team environment team sport uh, but athletic has it too it's just basketball goes for a little bit longer and if you're tired you can kind of get subbed out and and come back later but you can't you can't run 800 meters and say 400 like sub me in coach you know it's tough <laughs> <laughs> I'm tapping out let someone do the last bit <laughs> Yeah. Uh, who, what what team do you follow? Uh, always been a Lakers fan um, and massive Kobe fan, and you know, so I love I love the NBA. I love being around, um, watching different games, but just in general, I love sports. So even AFL, uh, you know, I really never watched it until I kind of moved to Melbourne. It's such a big culture there, and I'm massive. You know, I always stayed in the West Coast. So I'm a massive West Coast fan there. <laughs> oh, happy days well uh, at least you got the final in in Perth so you, you, you got some bit of uh, a bit of glory this year I, can you tell us your life as you said you're, you're sort of a citizen of the world now do you have a, a favorite place to be um so everywhere I go I try to set a place that's home so in Melbourne I have my place there in Perth I usually stay with my family and then in Europe we stay in a city called Tübingen. Um, it's about 40 minutes off Stuttgart. And that, that really feels like home. It's, you know, you're familiar with the cafes, with the people. And then from there, you kind of just travel around. But that's that's for like concentrating. But once you just want to chill out and do other things. Recently went to Lisbon and, and I loved it because it just reminded me of Australia a little bit, the beaches and, and the sun and everything. So I was like, man, I can't wait to get back home. And then I love London, but it just gets a little bit too cold. So it just reminded me a little bit of Melbourne. So there's, there's a few places. And I guess 
also Byrits, south of France. It's like a surfing kind of city, which was beautiful, and San Sebastian, all those places. So, I mean, I wasn't even a good geography student, but now I'm automatically like, I just know places just from the travel. <laughs> <laughs> Your life sounds like a holiday guide to wonderful places in the world. <laughs> you're, uh, you're you could, down every now and then. <laughs> exactly. You could do a bit of running here and there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and tell us, though, you got to experience the outside world during COVID and, and now you're coming back into Australia when it's really just kept coming out of or certain parts are coming out of the, the effects of the pandemic. What was your take in the world? How did it affect you? It's, it's just so different. I've been so lucky because, I mean, this whole thing kind of escalated in the last two years and I've been doing, and COVID hits really hard during the winter and athletics is summer sports. So I've been kind of just running away from lockdowns. And, <laughs> and, and, but I've also been able to, to kind of see the differences between how we're approaching things and how Europe is approaching it. And, and it was really, it was really interesting. It was harder for me to kind of, enter back Australia than it was to enter Europe. So that was that was really interesting for me. And just having to be back in quarantine, vaccinated and all that, but also see why it's necessary. And, and I mean, it's just tough. It's, it's a virus. I mean, it's been two years, but still there's so much unknown about it. And it's just one of those things you just, all you can do is hope that we can kind of get a hand of it soon because you know, people missing connection, people missing families. Um, you can't really travel across the world anymore. You, otherwise, you might get stuck out there. Uh, not even that. Like, you can't even travel across the states. Every state's kind of locked themselves out of places. You know, you don't. You know, I think even traveling outside of the world is too ambitious at the moment. It's like, well, let's try to get to Perth first. <laughs> I was going to say you've answered my question about why you're headed straight to Perth. It's warm weather, <laughs> and you're a, you're a lockdown dodger, so. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, fair enough you, you'll get to see your, your family and that's so important and you'll finally have a chance to celebrate and what did they say to you after your your performance uh man they just i think just how nervous they were and i was like it's okay i think there was a lot <laughs> of people nervous that day i think i was the calmest that day with the people that were invested you know the time was going so slow for them you know those semi-finals and final uh, it was just going so, 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 so nervous. But I think more importantly, I think they're just so proud. And and my parents and the community is so proud. It's like, well, we're going to have a barbecue for you, but there might be a lot of people attending that barbecue. And I said, I said it's okay. Um, just, you know, for the community, for anyone to come. And just like, well, it's a good example, like what's possible um, in this country and what's possible. Once you can recognize that opportunity and that opportunity was given to me so early by, by a teacher just at schools pulling me out of basketball and said look I think you might be better at this running thing um, so it's like well let's get more people to help people recognize um, different opportunities because they are there you just got to kind of recognize them it's pretty hard without guidance to recognize things that you don't really see as opportunity like moving to Melbourne for instance uh, was was the biggest sacrifice I had to make and because I had to move away from my family but I was speaking to my coach the other day I was like man that's the biggest opportunity I had um, moving to Melbourne, but like four years ago, five years ago, it felt like the biggest sacrifice. Yeah, definitely. Are you still in touch with the teacher that got you into sprinting? Yeah, she'll be, she'll be at the barbecue. Um, you know, <laughs> it'd be cool. So 
it's kind of strange now. I don't call her Miss anymore. I call her by her first name. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and also, you know, everyone that's helped me through the journey, I'm still, you know, hold really strong relationship with them. One of the things I said was, I don't know if it was my biggest asset. It was, it was tough. My parents, although they invested me as a person, they've never told me to attend training ever. So I had to all do it by myself. But one thing is, I have a coach there that coached me from the start. And every time I go to Perth, my mom would pull me up and said, have you visited him yet? It's like, oh yeah. So every time I go back there, I visit my old coach. And it's like, you tell me to visit my coach if you ever told me to go to training. But I mean, that's that's just how important people, the people is and the relationship you kind of build. It's not really the sport. It's what you do outside of it. That means you've got classy parents. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be... A big weekend, I guess, um, just meeting and greeting people, but also needed. I haven't seen anyone in like 14 days, so I think I can cope. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll be fine. And then what's on the agenda? Do you have a little bit of time to relax there or will you be trying to get back into Melbourne and, and start training again or, or what's your immediate plan? Um, I said, I just said this morning, I'll be back in Melbourne once the cafe is open and you can sit down because I enjoy, I enjoy I enjoy that part and also because part of my training early training requires um, a lot of gym and a lot of just strengthening the body and and relaxing which what better way can you do it with with family and Perth when things are open so uh, I'm in no rush to get back there at the moment but I definitely look forward to getting back there at the same time. Oh Peter Paul welcome home that's awesome <laughs> and I'm so glad you're going to see your family you're going to have that big barbecue that you definitely deserve and well thanks for chatting to us but we wish you all the very best for whatever's to come and I reckon uh, we're probably looking at the new year by the time you're in a Melbourne cafe. <laughs> you know if we learned anything during the pandemic you can never plan so I'm just <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome thank you so much mate. <laughs> thank you thanks for having me. You can read Stephanie Brandt's full story on Peter on ASBN.com.au and hopefully he's going to get the chance to sit down in one of Melbourne's world-famous cafes a lot sooner than next year. But for now, leaving the pontifications about lockdown schedules aside, I'd like to thank you for joining us on another edition of ESPN's Beyond the League, this time for a conversation between ESPN's Stephanie Brandt and Tokyo 2020 star Peter Bolt. I've been your host, Joey Lynch, and as a reminder, you can catch this episode and every other episode of Beyond the Lead and all of ESPN's collection of podcasts on audio goodness wherever you happen to get your podcasts from. If you're enjoying Beyond the Lead or any of those other podcasts, be sure to subscribe, leave a famous five-star review, and help spread the word. Thanks for listening today, tomorrow, or whenever you happen to be tuning into this, and don't fret as I'll catch you soon for another deep dive into sports as ESPN takes you a beyond the lead very soon.